Okay, you could start whenever. Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Again podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Joe. We're an ex-Christian couple learning how to live on the other side of religion. On this podcast, we'll share our journey, reasons we left the church, things we're going through now, and ways we have grown since. So it's been a couple weeks. Um, We thought we'd reintroduce the uh, podcast with an episode about the Bible. Yeah, and today we're going to talk about two Bible verses that I think everybody knows that we were taught as children. Two Bible stories. Two Bible, sorry, two yeah. Bible stories that we were taught as children and like just kind of assess them as an adult. Yeah. See what it it's like to think about them now. And both of these are stories that now I think like most, I don't know if I can say most, but a lot of current Christians would say well, these stories are just allegorical. Mm-hmm. Um, but both Katie and I were taught these stories as literal truth when we were younger and we kind of just believed that, yeah these things actually happened and this is how we should live our life because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we're kind of basing this episode off of that premise that we were taught this as little kids who couldn't sort out for themselves, whether or not this was real or fake, or if it was an allegory or if it was literal. Mm -hmm. And we both had times of rereading the Bible after we had taken like a huge break from it and coming back and reading these stories and seeing them in a completely different light. And so today we're kind of trying to share that different light that we saw them in Mm -hmm. after taking a break. And it's funny because the first story we read, I haven't read again yet before this podcast. And so I'm kind of excited to read read it and see how it hits now. So it's been like a few months, mm-hmm. at least, maybe more. Yeah. So the first one we're going to be reading is The Tower of Babel. Yes. That's my favorite one. Okay. I get to do my favorite thing and I get to read the Bible to you all <laughs> today. So I hope you're ready. All right, so the Tower of Babel, where are we at in the Bible, Joe? I don't remember. Okay, but it looks Genesis? like we're at verse 11. <laughs> I think it's Genesis chapter 11. Okay, chapter 11, okay, verse 1. All right, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Let's just put a pause right there. Mm-hmm. That would be really convenient. That would be so convenient. Yeah. But doesn't it sound so much like a fable already? Like, this is how the world began. Yes, it does. And this is what (laughs) happened and why we have so many languages. Yeah. But when you're a little kid and you're like, your Bible study teacher, Sunday school teacher is like, okay, at this time there was only one language and everyone spoke the same language. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, that sounds great. Okay, that makes sense. That's like, this story is easy enough for me to understand. Yeah. Okay. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Okay. <laughs> Glad they put that All in right. there. <laughs> then they said, come, let, it, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. That seems super reasonable. Famous. That that I feel like they're basically like, let's build this like tower. Let's build a city so that we can have something established here. Mm -hmm. We all speak the same language. Let's like build something. Let's be together. Let's become something. Yeah, let's be together. Mm -hmm. But like, as you know, you can't think that much of yourself and you can't want fame and you can't want anything. Well, let's see what happens. Oh, okay, okay. 
But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said. Uh, I wonder who he's talking to himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Why? It's okay. Because, okay, here's so the thing. So annoying. He's when you're, so annoying. He's no. like, has all his kids playing around, like doing really well for themselves. And he's like, it looks like they're doing a little bit too good. So reading it as a Christian, when we were kids, they would say like, okay, man is like trying to be better than God. Oh yeah. And God is like, no, you can't be better than me. But, and that, and that made sense to me as a Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they're getting too big for their boots. They don't need God. And like, that's like that's terrible. It's an abomination. You know, they need to be praising God and yeah. they need to worship him because he's the best. Like they need to be humbled and reading it. Now, the part that we just read, it's so obvious, like jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> like not the kind of jealousy where you say God is jealous and you feel like, Oh, that's cool. He's jealous for your love. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of jealousy where you have a friend and they're doing better than you. And you're like, I hate them. I want to ruin their, their career. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can't be better than me. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it before, but like all of like when you look at the emotions that God has, it's like too closely tied to like a king, mm-hmm. a human king who has just like not mature enough emotions. It's not like he's not elevated enough or like evolved past having basic human emotions. He's like still so furious and has like terrible reactions to things. He has triggers. Right. You know what I mean? He totally does. God is so easily triggered. He's so easily triggered. If you were God, I would hope you were like, I don't know. Above that? Above. Because you should like be so knowledgeable and so powerful to just like be beyond and be so Zen and just like, like truly look at things from a different perspective. But the reaction of this, when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, God is just like a man. Yeah. This is man made. Absolutely. I think the way it was taught to me when I was younger, that was that the people were trying to build a tower to get to heaven or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Like I kind of was surprised when you read it just now that it didn't say that, but in my memory it was like, Oh yeah. All these people were trying to build a tower to like get up to God. It could be a different translation that we have. That could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A different interpretation (laughs) could be anything, but regardless, it seems so strange. Like you were saying that assuming there is a creator that created the entire universe, not just this small planet, but like, billions of galaxies worth of planets and crazy stuff going on. He's so concerned about this group of super primitive people on this tiny, tiny planet earth, like in the middle of nowhere in the galaxy. How how large is their tower? Stacking rocks too, too high. How can they, how high can they get with these stones they're making like out of like, and you know, firing these clay stones Ooh, to offend the creator God of the entire universe is so offended by them stacking these rocks up. Watch out. They're going to get a he, little bit too strong. If he created everything, he's created <laughs> mountains higher yeah. than this tower yeah. on like one planet. Right. You know what I mean? Even, they could climb a mountain. 
<laughs> yeah, it seems like the craziest thing. And on top of that, even if they, even if the people were like celebrating like crazy and they're like, hell yeah, we're amazing. Look at this tower. We're, we've built the tallest tower any humans have ever built. We're mm-hmm. amazing. Look at this accomplishment. That's amazing. Wouldn't, wouldn't like a dad be proud of his kids for, for doing that, you know, for banding together and like building something for a common greater goal. I mean, normally a normal dad would normal dad wouldn't be like you kids built a taller Lego tower than I did. And so I'm going to kick your tower over and then punch you in the mouth. So you talk (laughs) weird and you can't understand each other. That did not happen. (laughs) But like, even so, like, it's not even that God's like trying to build a tower or like your dad's trying to build a taller tower than you. But like, it's like (laughs) ruining the success of your children. If your children became better than you, I feel like in a really loving family, that's what you'd want because you realize that like, Hey, like I want to support the next generation because that's what we have. Like that's our future. So like they should be better than us. Like they should be learning more. They should be building bigger things figuratively, you know? And like, they shouldn't be like, ah, crap, you're going to be more famous than me. And like, everyone's going to love you more. So like, I need to confuse you. It's just not, I think that like the thing about it was when I read it again was my, my jaw kind of dropped and I can't explain the feeling now because like now I'm just kind of making fun of it, but like it was a weird feeling of seeing God in a different way of kind of like, man, I don't really respect that. Yeah. Yeah. That exactly that. Cause I, the whole time I was Christian, this story always to me meant like it was the moral of the story was like, yeah, we should put God first and worship God first. And he's so much more powerful than us that, that he could do anything he wants. And like mm-hmm. with a snap of his fingers, he could confuse everyone in the world and scatter us all around. Like he's so much greater than us mm-hmm. all worship to God. And on but a level yeah. that seems like a, some type of power. Yeah. Like, well, it, of course. Yeah. You know, he has like the evil power of being able to instantly like confuse a group of people who are working together <laughs> for, well, for no reason. Yeah. You like, yeah, you said it, the evil power, like yeah. you don't like go to that, that next level up and like look at well what is this his power accomplishing yeah like what or what is he using his power for or how is he demonstrating his power is it in a loving way is it the way you would treat your children i don't know like and i know that when i know like a lot of times when you ask those kind of questions like i even said it and you said it is like people say well we don't know how god we don't understand god's ways like his ways are higher than our ways but you had to like really that way you've seen it before you've seen someone be jealous and knock the tower down yeah. that is not a higher elevated way you're right because we've that's like a human response yeah his yeah his ways are not higher than our ways and they're hard to understand because he's acting like a little baby and you're trying to say that the way he's acting is somehow higher than our understanding but no he's he's acting like a grouchy little toddler who like saw some other kids having cooler toys than him mm-hmm it's so strange and that there you're right that there is like that moment where it kind of switches where you go from really respecting and revering God to viewing him as like a, a man-made very obviously human creation like a tyrant yeah human immature tyrant <laughs> tyrant toddler so okay <laughs> think about this if God was if he does exist mm-hmm. if he did still exist do you think that today in modern day and age he's causing like all the wars and all the fights between the different countries so that the whole world doesn't band together and start working together too well 
Whoa, that's a good question. Because like if the whole world was working together, we wouldn't have to have any wars and we wouldn't have probably all these issues like global warming and horrible pollution and, and I mean anything mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. like plaguing the relationships between countries. Oh yeah, he kind of stopped in this story. He like stopped us from working together. Yeah. So, so is he still is doing he that still in doing the background? That? Hmm, hmm. That's a good question. Let's, uh, let's have a Christian on and ask them. Okay. Yeah, good idea. I would love to have the conversation. No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Also, I think that a long time ago, I just remembered this. You asked this question. We have super tall buildings now in the world. Like skyscrapers, ever heard of them? Made of like tar, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Skyscrapers, ever heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. Is God really intimidated? Like in New York? Yeah. He doesn't go there. Why didn't he stop us from building our other towers? I wonder if that. Okay. I actually just figured something out. I okay. think that that's probably why all of the cities are so wicked and sinful and oh. while, why they're mostly Democrat is because <laughs> God doesn't go to those cities because the buildings are really tall and it makes him feel really insecure. Because his tower is not Because as tall. his tower isn't as tall. Because the people are getting too famous. <laughs> because they're... Yeah, exactly. Okay. I guess I didn't finish the rest of the story, but all it says at the end is, in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city that is why the city was called babel or babel i guess you could say because that is where the lord confused the people with different languages in this way he scattered them all over the world is it babel or is it babel it's ba- it's babel because it like, should be babel but that's like so much better yeah babel yeah because like the they're people, all speaking you know. different languages uh-huh. babbling if we ever put out a revised version of the bible uh, with our own pronunciations, we'll make sure that it's pronounced Babel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the way, like, I don't know if that's like the way that they teach us as kids to remember what the story is about, like making the connection between Babel and Babel. Mm-hmm. They probably did. Mm. Well, anyways, any kids listening, the moral of the story is that if you get too strong, God's going to knock you down and confuse you because he doesn't like when you do a really, really good job. That is that the moral? That's like a secondary moral. Like the Christian moral is that God's going to knock you down. I can't think of anything. I don't know what the Christian moral is. I guess I feel, I guess it's just that you shouldn't like try to become cooler than God. You shouldn't become great. You shouldn't want your own fame. Yeah. You shouldn't be great. Well, I think that's why all of us struggle right now with having self-worth. Yeah. I mean, there in a nutshell is like a very clear picture of what God thinks of self-worth. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. We're yeah. all, and we're all over here, like, can't even like tell ourselves that we, we love ourselves. I know. We can't even feel any worth. We just feel like, oh, I'm never going to amount to anything. I can never do this. I can never do that. I mean, that's how I feel. Maybe it's because our <laughs> toddler God was doing that to us our whole lives while we were Christians. Okay. Well, that, I feel like that's a good, we have a good analysis on that story mm-hmm. and we can probably move on to the next one. Yeah. It's a very scientific analysis. Yeah. So everyone can do your book reports on that. Uh, the next story we're going to read is probably one of the most famous Bible stories, and that is Noah and the Ark. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, this one is a little bit long, but I think that there's a, like a lot of good parts. I think there's a lot of good parts because this is actually, like Joe said, it's a super popular story and everybody really knows it, but like, when's the last time you actually read it all the way through? Because... There's just some things in there that are kind of like, they're off-putting and... You could say that. (laughs) Yeah, off-putting and just the whole thing with the end of it and the rainbow I want to talk about especially. I I remember 
where I was, I was actually in our friend's house when I read this story again for the first time since I had like taken a break from everything Bible. And coming back to it was, I had just read the the Garden of Eden story, shocking, and then I'm like, what's going on with Noah's Ark? And I read it and I was... I was just so surprised that this story had been like so embedded in my memory in, in like a different way, in like a childlike way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because we like grow up, we grew up reading like those children's Bibles and just like getting books like about these stories and they were mm-hmm. illustrated and they were just put in so simply a way that before we were ever old enough to even read or understand like the way that the Bible's written, because it's complicated to, to understand, I think, as a child, we knew the stories already. Yeah. So when we heard all the extra bits we didn't fill them in we just knew this is what happened in Nozark this 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 and this is what the story means that's a really good point that's actually true mm-hmm. for almost the whole bible that's true. Yeah. i'm realizing is yeah. that i learned almost all of the bible stories in sunday school before i was like either before i could read or before i just was actively reading my bible on my own mm-hmm. as like a 10 year old i wasn't like reading my bible before bed i don't think no i wasn't but yeah so then when i I'm 16 and I'm actually starting to have like a daily devotional and reading my Bible. You're right. I kind of like already know the stories. I already know what I'm supposed to take out of the story. I'm I sure know what the moral skim. is. I'm sure and you so, skim them. Yeah. And even if you don't skim them, it, there's a big difference between like reading a book uh, with a fresh perspective versus reading a book having already, you already know the whole story and how it ends and how it begins and what messages you're supposed to take out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like anything, if you rewatch a movie or reread a book, there's like, there's those times you read it through and you kind of like think to yourself, I already know all mm-hmm. of this. So you're not surprised by anything and you don't look for any new information. But if you go into it kind of thinking like, oh, like, what is this? What am I going to get out of it this time? I feel like you're more open to seeing new things. Yeah. And I think like taking a break and coming back and reading the Bible again with fresh eyes is super good for us because... Yeah we like had a different perspective. Right. We weren't like just immersed in it the whole time. Well, we've said it before. And I know a lot of you guys who are listening have said that reading the Bible as an atheist or reading a Bible, like with that blank perspective was the thing that eventually like kicked you out of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's the same for us. When you come back to the book and read it with even just a little bit of separation from your Christian world, it's, it's a really different book on the outside than it is from within the Christian mm-hmm. bubble, for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this nice story of Noah's in the Ark with all the little, the lambs and the animals marching into the Ark. And the two, two by giraffes two, and the two out giraffe of the heads. Ark, yeah, heads. <laughs> yeah, it's not as nice of a story as uh, we may have been taught when we were little kids. But I want to say that it's also definitely not the worst one. True. Okay. Because there's way more scary stories. Okay, so this one is in Genesis, and I'm starting at the part in the Bible. My Bible said increasing corruption on earth, and I think we're reading out of the ESV. No one's following along, so it doesn't matter. So if you're following along, we're reading the ESV version. (laughs) Uh, Genesis 6, chapter 1, and you guys can all race, and whoever gets there first, raise your hand, and you get a gold star. Okay. All right. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, okay, okay, whatever. That's like separate. That's, you know, everybody knows that's whatever. My spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Okay. And that's when he decides when we'll die. Yeah. Wait a second. 
there's a lot of stuff in that already. First of all, who are the sons of God that could just take any wives they chose? Is that like a different sect of people or is it like any man? I don't know, but I let me tell you something. I bet it takes a Bible scholar to be able to explain that to you, and even then you wouldn't understand. That's a good point. Okay. Also, 120 <laughs> years. Exactly. No one today even lives that long, and back then they're eating, like, freaking like, mashed grains, and they have, like, barely any clean water. Well, not to mention all of the diseases life. they have in medicine. Yeah. Okay. That's backbreaking work. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Sounds like Lord of the Rings. The Nephilim are like giants, right? Isn't this where people say there's giants in the Bible? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's giants walking around. And then also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. So that's a little weird. I just feel like it's, I think like reading back this, I was just like, whoa, I don't remember reading this part. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, like, it's like strangely, like, kind of like inappropriate the way it's worded and also just strange and also kind of like, why are you telling me this detail? Yeah. And like a lot of feeling, a lot of like kind of questions, I mean, are coming up. And then the last sentence of that, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And then suddenly, for some reason, apparently those men were wicked. Oh, yeah. Read that next part. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let's put a pause right there. Uh, I don't believe you. But did you? (laughs) When you're Christian? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. When I was Christian, I was like, oh, screw them. They're all wicked. Those sinners. Yeah. Like, we believe that, like... Okay, I guess, like, I want to say something. <laughs> but, like, okay, so as a Christians, I know that, like, a lot of people believed this, and so did we, that, like, the earth and, like, was wicked, and we were born with, like, ill intentions. Like, we did believe that we were born broken and mm-hmm. bad, and, like, like our first thoughts were bad. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, do you believe that like every single thought of every person is always constantly wicked? I think if you really think about it, if like as a Christian, I think when I was Christian, I like, if I would have really thought about it, I wouldn't have been able to say that a person, every single thought every that a person intention. was having was evil. But I think like on some, in some other part of my brain, I did kind of believe that. Mm -hmm. Like I I believed that like everybody in the world, quote unquote world was so wicked, Mm -hmm. like, like deep down tainted wicked. Uh So yeah, when I read this as a Christian, I'm like, yep. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds about right. Now it's like, okay, you're saying these people have literally only evil thoughts every single time, like constantly. It's like they're meditating on their perfect meditators and they're perfectly enlightened and like tuned in to the spirit of evil where every single one of their thoughts is evil and not a single one slips by without them making it evil before they think it. <laughs> they don't even love their children. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. So there's apparently the great men of renown are there, but also everyone's evil. So it says every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay. That's so very continually, specific. very specific mm-hmm. and very, very constant. Mm-hmm. 
And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That sucks. Yeah. Well, your dad said he regrets having you. Okay, that that sucks. First of all, like if a dad were to say to you that he regretted having you, that's like the worst thing a dad like, could say a, to you. Because you're like, you messed up. Yeah. The, and then you're like, who made me messed up? God. The I second mean, part of it is <laughs> God, that dad. like, yeah, how can this perfect, quote unquote, perfect creator who makes no mistake and who knows all that ever was and all that is and all that ever will be, he like messed up and now he has a regret? That seems so, so small-minded. Once again, it's no. like so small-minded that the this creator who is like outside of our realm of understanding, he has regrets. He's like, oh shoot, these people are really, they're really mean. I shouldn't have made them like that, I guess. I And I understand that like God, some people say God wanted us to have free will. So he made us and then just like, he made us and then just let us be, you know, be how we'll be. But like, if he is all knowing and he can see the past, present and future, he should see this coming and he should have prevented it just like with Adam and Eve. Like you could have like regretted that you made Adam and Eve and started over, or you could, I don't know, just like, didn't you see this coming? Yeah. Right. Didn't, (laughs) shouldn't you have seen this coming creator God who's supposed to know everything? Yeah. I feel like when you think about it that way, it kind of takes away like the, some of the charm of God. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like, uh, like I, I know that they tell us we're not supposed to understand your ways, but like kind of seems like you just couldn't, you didn't see it coming. You just messed up. You like made a mistake. Yeah. And that seems like kind of a bummer if your God is like making those kind of big mistakes. Mm -hmm. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I've made them. Whoa. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why the so animals? The, that bothers me. The part that bothers me most when I was first reading this back was all of the animals that he is going to wipe off the earth. Because, like, the story makes it sound cute, like God, like, saved the animals. But he only saved, like, I mean, he saved a few in the he grand saved, scheme like, of things. 0.01% of the animals. He killed all the animals. That. Yeah. Well, the animals do. That's just, like, mass destruction. Maybe the animals were evil, too. They were, I guess. And the squirrels were, like, finding their nuts in like the most evil possible way no they're not and he didn't even <laughs> what's weird is like he the animals are not described as as evil it says the wickedness of man was great in the earth you know not animals yeah so it's it's all of a sudden it's like the animals are thrown in here just so they can like account for them because they can't fit them all on on you know the yeah, ark. can only fit 14 million okay These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Cooking Ham? Ham. Okay, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So Destroy now he says earth. that the the earth is violent. So it's not just that the thoughts are evil and the intentions are evil. It's that they are violent. So behold... I will destroy them. Okay, I already read that. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 30... I mean, 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits and its height is 30 cubits. Okay, I don't know if I measured it correctly but like i at one point 
measure that out. And I can't remember if I looked it up on Google or actually just looked up this verse specifically because I feel like there's other are there other translations with different numbers? I think there is some controversy over what size the arc is. Okay, but either way, it's got to be close to this. So 450 feet long, mm-hmm. 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's okay. not that big. No, that is not even close to big enough. And you were looking up online just now that I think the one that you had seen was the arc is 500 and 500 yeah, on feet? Yeah, on which is Ken Ham's like, crazy museum where you can go and walk in a life-size arc. They're saying that Noah actually used royal cubits, which are a little bit bigger. Okay. So that's 510 feet long. But okay. even so, it's like about the same. So it's a little bit bigger than maybe what I just said. But, I mean, as a child, okay, so you think like two of each animal and... Yeah, like I guess you just see the picture of like the rhinoceroses and the giraffes and the elephants. Well, no one talks about the like actual practical size of it, and especially as a kid, no, you don't the people think about are just it. like Noah built a huge ark and it's this giant boat. It's the biggest boat you could ever imagine, and then he got two of each animal and led them into the ark. And so I I was thinking about this the other day, or like not the other day, but a couple months ago, and I was just thinking about. I was like, I wonder how many uh, species of animal, uh, species of creatures there are. And I looked it up and I mean, it said 8.7 million. And I'm sure that's That's a lot. That's not like all correct. I'm sure there's either more or less or whatever, but 8.7 million different kinds of creatures. And so if you're a fundamentalist, you don't believe that different species evolved, right? Like different animals, do you not believe in that? Or do you believe that maybe there's a little bit of change, a little bit of microevolution? How much evolution could there be so that there could be a smaller amount of animals that fit on the ark and then now there's 8.7 million species? Like I'm saying, if you don't believe that things evolved, that means that there should be roughly a similar amount of species back when Noah saved all of them. And so he's fitting 8.7 million times two or times uh, the next verse is like says seven pairs but oh yeah so like the, the unclean animals you only take two but then the the clean animals you take seven pairs yeah so this yeah this ver- next mm-hmm. verse said go into the ark you and all your household for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation take with you seven pairs of all clean animals the male and his mate and a and a pair of the animals that are not clean. So seven pairs of the clean animals and one pair of the unclean animals, if I'm reading that right, but I don't remember that, seven pairs. So that's even more. So you have 8.7 million species now. Yeah. And I can't even imagine one million species. <laughs> I know. One million species on a boat. I know. Well, think about even if even if there were only two of each species, that's what 16 more than 16 million individual animals on a boat that's like a little bit longer than a football field and a half mm-hmm. it's less than two football fields and like what do you say 50 feet high and 75 mm-hmm. feet wide okay with and 16 so, million animals on it so there's probably and i mean like I'm, I'm sure that the species are accounting for like bacteria and like all kinds of small tiny things so it's not like exactly that but let's just talk about let's talk about one million species sure like maybe animals and birds and and all of that kind of stuff 
And like, how was, how is that number kept in this small space? Yeah. I can't even wrap my head around that number. At like a big football game, there'll be like 70,000 people in the stands. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, whoa. Like a packed Packer game, Uh there's 70,000 at Lambeau Field. So way more than 10 times that many people on a boat that is way smaller Mm -hmm. than that would be like the equivalent number of species, you Mm -hmm. know? It just doesn't make any sense. And I'm actually curious now. What does Ken Ham have to say about that? Well, obviously, sure we answer. are not like scientists, and like, and we know that a lot of Christians don't believe that the Noah story was like maybe historically accurate. But like, we did growing up, and yeah. we had never thought through this. Like, how could it fit all of the animals, all of the species right. that we have now? How could how could all of these things fit in this in this small space? Yeah, and so I think when we went back to read the story, it was just kind of like, whoa, how do we not? Um, like analyze. Why didn't this raise red flags back then? Well, I'll tell you why. And go back to the brain waves. Is that when you're a child, you're easily suggestible, and you don't have an analytical mind. So you've learned things before you can analyze. You like don't need. You don't analyze them, and so like they're just embedded in your memory or your subconscious, and they're just like automatic. You know this. You know that. You do this. You do that. And you're not analyzing it. So like we never needed to analyze it. And once we like had to like read the story again we felt that we were understanding it from a different brain but like really we had all of the subconscious teachings of the story that it was just fact stuck in our brain that's so wild so you can't and you know now when we learn things we like we learn it and then we're able to be like do i believe this is true but or like what do i think about this and i have these questions about this but Mm -hmm. like as a child you don't no that stuff just goes straight into your subconscious and then it kind of creates the lens the lens from which you understand that story in the future Mm -hmm. it's wild i was just i was just realizing that i did believe that this was literal at least for a long time and again i don't really think this is the type of thing that i thought a whole lot about like in detail as a christian but i do think i believed it literally if someone were to ask me about if the flood like happened i think i'd say yeah and i i thought that i believed that that's how the grand canyon was formed was by like all of the water draining down off oh, the like earth, like f- into the ocean, and it like formed like, formed like a huge a mega canyon. river, and yeah. then made the Grand Canyon. And so then that's like the Grand Canyon is another evidence of God's beautiful design and how how the flood changed the earth so quickly and so beautifully. Oh, that's like how you account for like all of the layers and how people say like it took like all of these millions yeah. and millions of years. Uh huh. Okay. They're saying like because whatever secular scientists say the grand canyon took forever to form and you can see a billion layers and whatever mm-hmm. i don't know the details of that but then i remember my response as a christian was no the earth isn't millions of years old it's actually way younger than that but the flood happened and like the runoff from the flood kind of mimicked way more time worth of sediment and erosion and stuff like that mm-hmm. ridiculous I know. And I wonder why when the flood landed, it still landed in Israel. When, the, when the ark landed again on land. It, it happened to be in the same spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long was the flood there? A long time, right? It was like Wait. months. It was like the rain happened for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And then like, I feel that it was actually a couple months. Like, I don't. Yeah, it says this in here somewhere, but it's, it's like months. Yeah, uh, Six and or apparently something. that un like unanchored wooden boat that they're all floating around on just stayed like exactly in the right spot on top of the water until it receded, and then it ended up like in the same spot. 
Yeah, that's actually another thing I never thought about. Huh. What if Noah's Ark would have gotten <laughs> blown like over the ocean and then God made the flood go down, uh-huh. but then Noah's still in the middle of the ocean, like way out and no birds could make it to land. He would never know if Dude, the flood I was know. actually over. He'd just be stranded. Yes, exactly. Well, God knew that the Israelites' holy land, you know, was the Israel, the Jews' holy land was Israel. So he pushed the the ark actually back exactly oh. over where Noah had originally built it. And so he landed right in front of his house. And his <laughs> right house his was doorstep. still intact. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I forgot. It's a miracle. <laughs> All right. All righty, ready, ready, ready. So the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Exactly. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and those whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So that's how many days? 150 days. So that's like five months. It bothers me how repetitive the Bible is. And especially some of the like more disturbing details that were repeated, like how many times it needed to say that every single living creature had died. Mm -hmm. How sad it is. You know what I mean? Like, and it's repeated so many times here. Like, I, I get it. I get it. Don't have to say it. Yes, <laughs> over please. Over and over and over again. So then there's a part with everybody knows about how like he sends out a dove. And I actually read he sends out a raven first. And then he sends out a dove. It comes back. He sends it out again. It comes back with an olive branch. All that. So he lands on the land. And they're out. And everything, the waters are gone. And God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you now. And so this is God's covenant with Noah. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and their waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What in the world? God just like had a stroke before he wrote this part. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so, sorry, that is... part was long, but I just, that part was crazy the first oh time I read gosh. it because of how repetitive it is. It seems like, just like as a side thought, this is supposed to be the, like, 
the clearest revelation of God's mind we have. The Bible mm-hmm. is supposed to be like the clearest, best picture of who God is. And this is the best that they could do in I terms mean, of like no, conveying information. It's terrible writing. No, it just seems, it kind of just, it seems exactly like it's just an ancient book that mm-hmm. was written by ancient people. Yeah, right. Who like barely knew how to write because writing hadn't been around for that long. Or like it's translated a million times because they found so many copies and they couldn't tell what it says. So they decided to write down all the parts. Yeah. Okay. So I always felt like the rainbow was this like happy, clappy thing between God and his people. And anytime we see a rainbow... Yay, like God loves us, and that's his covenant to us. God's promise that God was faithful to uphold his promises. Mm-hmm. I Worship have, God. Yeah. I, I have like the most distinct memory of somebody who used to go to we used to go to church with who talked about God's promises all the time in the rainbow and like how God will fulfill his promises because of the Old Testament and the covenant to his offspring and everything. And like they actually like referenced this part of the Bible. And I mean, that's what we believed our whole life, that the rainbow is a sign that God will keep his promise. Mm -hmm. And we were like, wait, what is the promise actually? The promise is that he won't kill everything on earth with a flood. That's the the literal promise. So thank God be to God. Yeah, thanks. Praise God. He's never going to murder us all with a flood ever But maybe again. he'll murder us all with a fire. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not... He didn't commit to much. It's not a covenant of much. Yeah, exactly. It's like the worst promise. Also, it does thinks. not mean that he's going to keep his promises. That is not what the rainbow means. The rainbow does not remind us that God will keep his promise. It means that, in general, it means that just he will keep the promise not to flood the earth. Yeah. My gosh. <laughs> Well, that's a very specific promise, and I guess it is good that he promised he wasn't going to do that, but it doesn't seem like a very good guy who would even threaten you with that in the first place. Mm-mm. The story is crazy. It's not a nice story, and it doesn't paint God in a good light. I think, once again, it paints him as like a tyrannical, uh, immature, very, very human, like toddler personality who says oh i've messed up all these people aren't turning out how i thought they were i'm just gonna kill everything and start over again just seems like an ancient barbaric king Mm -hmm. yeah you know i feel like i think that we don't realize the types of people that lived in these times i think sam harris said it best when he was like we have never met a person who has as narrow a mind and like smaller perception like a small of a perception and worldview as the people who wrote the Bible and lived in these times. Yeah. We can't even imagine what their world was like because their perspective was so like micro narrow compared to what ours is now, just because of time and information and the ability we have to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. They didn't know, they didn't have any clue what was going on. I mean, we still don't really have any clue what's going on, but like we have a bit more of a clue than they had, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just seems so clear now that this is obviously written by a human with human tendencies uh, and modeled after like a real tyrannical king. Just kind of like how people would expect their God to act in this time. Yeah, yeah. I feel that like anger and like mass killings were like a sign of like power back then. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even. In the Bible, I don't know if it's even historically accurate, but when they say that King Herod wants to kill all the firstborn, Mm -hmm. the male children, like, like, and then isn't that like supposed to be a bad thing? Like, because they're trying, but God does the same thing. He kills everyone, but he kills everyone, not even just the males. He kills everyone. 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I like, I don't know. It's just like, it's so, it seems so much like, yeah, it's written in the past. It's like modeled after this type of way that people expected their God to be who loves burnt offerings. Cause the first thing that Noah does when he comes out of the ark is he like sacrifices some animals that he had so meat. preciously saved for 150 days. Yeah. He kills them and God finds the aromas pleasing. Oh yeah. yeah he loves the that. sense of blood and death. Yeah. That's like what that means, like reads to me as now that that God of the Old Testament loved the smell of burning flesh. Yeah, weird. And it, it's just so bizarre. Yeah, that is so bizarre. <laughs> That's not like a story you teach children. Yeah. It's so strange because these stories did, both of these stories were like positive, like lighthearted yeah. kid stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what we teach. This is what we were taught as kids. And I think a lot of kids are probably still being taught these Bible stories today. Um, But the concepts are so adult. The concepts are adult and also really like vicious Mm -hmm. and murderous Mm -hmm. and nasty. Mm -hmm. Like It's weird. Like, why would you teach? You want to teach your kids moral lessons. Why would you use these stories to teach them anything about morals Mm -hmm. or like anything about how to live a better life? Because regardless of what you think about God, God is behaving in like a really vicious way here, mm-hmm. like murdering a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the penalty for a lot of the thing of, for a lot of like the sins against God is death. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I guess that's why he sent Jesus. God. He's like, like I'm tired holds... of killing now. <laughs> so he had to kill his son. <laughs> oh, wait, just one more death, please. Yeah. <laughs> one more death. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, it's crazy. It's really, really strange. I think it is really helpful though, to go back and read this stuff. You know, it it was kind of fun preparing for the episode today and like reading some other kids Bible stories and stuff Mm -hmm. and realizing that I kind of had this thought that all these kids Bible stories were like all happy and nice and like pastel colored and had rainbows and, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you actually read the story, it's like this stuff is messed up. It's either messed up or it's like very confusing or or makes God look really, really bad. Or you're, you're kind of wondering if this like the story actually means anything or if it actually is significant because it just seems confusing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, our ways aren't as high as his ways. Oh, we don't understand. Okay. (laughs) So that was great. That was like one of the things that I've been wanting to do for so long is just read the Bible out loud to all of you. You love reading the Bible out loud? I think because it's just something that we grew up doing so much and like never had the chance to like really analyze it and i feel like the bible was always something that was so holy and revered and you could never say anything bad about it and i never really wanted to ever but now it's a very freeing feeling to try to read it in a different perspective and i'm sure that like as we both grow as people we'll come back to it and read it in like even a different perspective yeah for sure or we just won't come back to it and read it at all yes of course more likely (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah But yeah, it is good to be able to look at it through a different lens Mm -hmm. and kind of pick it apart and distance ourselves from it even a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Feels good. Yeah. So I wanted to finish up this episode with just sharing like a bit about where we're at in terms of our journey, because I feel like this journey started out as sort of a documentation of us telling our parents and going from there and kind of how like we've sort of processed all of the change and everything like that. And so I wanted to like keep you up to date on how we feel now. So I haven't really asked you at all, Joe, how you 
like a reproached approached religion or what you think of it now or like if there's anything that's like affecting you currently within religion or if you think about it yeah i don't i honestly don't think about it that much anymore mm-hmm. i mean besides like doing the podcast and interacting with people on instagram or in the facebook group and messages and stuff like that um i feel pretty free from it you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure that there are a lot of things there are a lot of like parts of my personality and habits i have in ways that i think that are really informed still by my time in christianity but like the fear of hell kind of stuff or like the questions uh of like ooh, did we maybe get this wrong or you, you know existential crisis kind of fears and stuff like that that has really dropped off in the last few months which has been really nice and really freeing um it's made it really it's made it easier to live and it's made it more difficult to run the podcast i think because it's just like i i'm not ravenous for like ex-christian info anymore you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you said when we first started it was super real and it was super raw and very very fresh for us and we were still like really stressed out about telling our families and interacting with christians and all of that and at this point, I we've like kind of gone through a lot of those steps and had a lot of those hard conversations and, you know, gone just kind of like gone through it. And are, I feel like we're kind of on the other side. At least I feel like I'm mainly on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And it feels pretty good. Yeah. What about you? I feel like I feel that a, a separation from it. I think that... I am not saying that I wouldn't be like hurt or it would be difficult to talk to a Christian again, but at this stage in my journey, I feel most uh, just free from it. Like you were saying, I feel like there's really, I don't know, I hope like to give some encouragement because there's really nothing I did necessarily. Like I didn't, I haven't been really reading books and I haven't really been, you know, researching anything within Christianity. But, like, just time and the passage of time has healed more things. And like you said, I think I still do have a lot of probably just personality traits or things I believe about myself that were informed by the church and just, like, our upbringing in general. And But, like, I do feel at this stage just a lot more free, me personally, than what I felt, like, a few months ago. Uh, and, I mean, I, I want to, like, continue to feel that. But it's like, no, it's not occupying my mind as much as it has been. So it's like, it's not to say that it is, that it's not completely gone, but it's like, it definitely isn't the forefront of my brain yeah. as much as it was like mm-hmm. a while ago. And I like kind of did nothing to like get that. It was just time. Yeah. 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 So I, f- I think like it's so corny and I feel like I was just talking about this today with somebody, but like patience is so key with mm-hmm. like anything any kind of growth separation i think has probably been important for you especially too because you've been a lot less invested in or not invested but you've like been reading other people's stories way less than i have Mm -hmm. and stuff like that Mm -hmm. too you know like i i think if we were both really involved in other ex-christian communities or like looking at the ex-christian reddit all the time and posting or upvoting or you know whatever sharing stuff from there i think at a certain point those things would probably tend to keep us like in it mm-hmm, a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, just naturally as time has passed, I think our like curiosity and interest has sort of just slowly 
declined as we've stepped further and further away from it. And mm-hmm. so as a result, we're like not reading as many things about it, not watching as many documentaries about leaving Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's felt, it's felt very like natural and I want to say easy in a way it's not, this process isn't easy, but like the separation that I'm feeling from Christianity right now seems like it kind of just happened naturally over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you completely. It seems like it's just a process that's going to take some time to unwind things mm-hmm. there. I would like to make a distinction too, though, that I think like I don't have a lot of conscious thoughts about Christianity and stuff like that. But like I was saying, I do think there are, are a lot of like subconscious mm-hmm. programs and feelings I have that I still need to work through. Yeah. Um, a big one is like shame. I feel like I have shame kind of underlines a lot of what I do. And mm-hmm. I think that probably comes in big part from my involvement with Christianity. Mm-hmm. The same thing with like self love. It's so hard for me to love myself and to talk about self love or to feel good about anything I do. And I, again, I think that probably has its roots in my Christian past. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that stuff is always, there's always going to be more stuff to work on. Mm-hmm. It just feels good to have a, like a break from some of that conscious, yeah. incessant thoughts, like thinking about Christianity and leaving and Christianity and atheism. And just feeling angry about it yeah, and angry yeah. that it happened to us and all of that. How do you feel um, about other people being Christian? I, I care a little bit less but I do still care I think like there was a time when I just I really did feel like I wanted I just really wanted to be understood because it felt so hard to be out as a non-Christian and come from such a big Christian community Mm -hmm. and feel that like within the people that I'm most familiar with I wasn't understood and it would make me angry that like people would be Christian and they wouldn't start try to understand me. But now I feel more just relaxed about it. But saying that, that doesn't mean I'm completely relaxed because I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. but I think in this stage of my journey, I'm like more, I'm a little bit more accepting of them just being Christian. I'm kind of like trying to move towards needing to explain myself less because a person, like I was just thinking the other day, like you, can't really explain your perspective it's coming from so many experiences you have like inside your body how you're like looking at the world like all of these things and I think like if I if I just kind of understand that everybody's coming from a different place and try to be more accepting of that I won't feel the need to like have to like oh my god like shake people's shoulders and try to get them to understand me Mm -hmm. like I won't care I'll just I can just be calm knowing that I am comfortable knowing what I know and like accepting myself and trying to grow, you know? And I think that was like a big thing for me in the beginning is just feeling really misunderstood. And I hate feeling misunderstood. And now I'm really trying to focus on like being just okay with that, that like, yeah, that I'm unique and, no one can really ever actually understand me, not even you, because yeah. I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing inside my head. Inside even my body. you can't understand you no. sometimes. There's like, yeah. yes, definitely. There's <laughs> things that happen to me. And I'm like, I have no idea why I feel like that or think this way. Yeah. You said something the other day that uh, I think is true of, for us is that we moved away from our family and away from our Christian community, like right at the very beginning of the time when we started doubting things. And so our experience is a bit unique or, or a bit different than, um, some of you who might 
be constantly surrounded by Christian people in your community mm-hmm. or at your work or in your family or whatever. Um, yeah, for us, it's been easier to separate from Christianity, I think, because we haven't had to have conversations about it all the time. We haven't had to feel like that weird tension when you're in the room with someone who's super Christian mm-hmm. and you know that they don't know you're Christian or whatever. Like we've kind of avoided that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was helpful for us to grow, but I also think it means we're like a little bit untested. Mm-hmm. And so when we go back and visit family or like pretty soon we're going to see my family again, uh, in the next few weeks here. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious how it'll feel then. Cause we haven't really talked to anybody Christian. We'll see in how while. healed we really are. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone said like, it's really easy to be enlightened when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be enlightened when you're surrounded with your family or mm-hmm. when, if you live with a spouse or if, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. So yeah, we feel good right now, but we also haven't really been tested anytime mm-hmm. recently. And so I'm curious to kind of see how things feel when we face some Christians again. <laughs> face Not them. that we're facing them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Interface with them. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to me read you Bible stories. I hope it didn't make you feel too weird and I hope you're able to laugh at them. And I hope that you all try to remember your inner child in a kind way and accept that they only knew what their parents or the adults around them were telling them and forgive yourself for believing in Noah's Ark. If you feel like you were dumb back yeah. then because <laughs> I definitely can relate Absolutely. But we are kids. Just kids. Just kids. And now we can analyze all we want mm-hmm. and ask as many questions as we want. That's great. <laughs> so we'll see you next week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>